Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you would be opening your Bibles to Matthew, the 20th chapter. Matthew, the 20th chapter. In just a moment, we'll begin there. Let's do continue to pray for the McCullough family. Uh, Miss Eugenia was a special, special part of this congregation, a member here for about 67 years. She was an elder's wife for 28 years and has blessed the life of this church in many ways and continues to do so uh, with the the lineage of uh, people that she has in her family that still are tremendous asset to us as a church family. And let's Remember to support this good family and encourage them and comfort them in every way that we can over the next few days and weeks and months. Also, if you will, uh, be praying for three of us that will be going to El Salvador in the morning. And we'll be there for a preacher's and preacher's wife seminar. And we will do that tomorrow afternoon and all day Tuesday. And then if everything goes as planned, we'll fly back Wednesday. And uh, please be prayerful of the success of that. If you can imagine, almost every preacher down there is the only leader in his entire congregation. And so we have small congregations of 20 to 30 to 40. Some of them are 50 and 60 in size, but they're out there kind of alone. And also, as them being uh, several of them having wives, their families are sometimes about the only families in their congregation where there is a Christian husband and wife, and then uh, children that are faithful in those congregations. And if you can imagine not being able to look around and have the support of a Christian family around you, as far as individual family groups, and not even having that model around you to, to see on a daily basis and to imitate on a daily basis. And so we hope to do a lot with them in that two-day period of time, not just about ministry, but also to strengthen the home. There uh, has been some concern that We've heard of at least one of the ministers there, this tremendous minister, and uh, they're just struggling a little bit. And so we hope that uh, great good for God can be done. So please be prayerful about all that will take place over the next few days there, uh, that, that hopefully through encouraging through the Word of God and, and just the fellowship of other Christians, uh, that we can be what we need to be. Andrew and, and uh, Tracy and myself will be going there, and please keep us in your prayers. Has there been someone in your life that touched your life and maybe it was in a kind deed and you look back and you think that's made all the difference? Or maybe there was someone that gave you something and it was a financial gift or some kind of gift and you look back now and you say, wow, that really made all the difference. You know, this morning we spent quite a bit of time looking at Luke the fourth chapter where Jesus' life was summarized by Isaiah long before he ever came to this earth. That he would be one that... Would, because he was pressed by the Spirit, he would be one that would take the gospel, including to the poor. He would be one that would be a, a one that would heal those that were brokenhearted. He would try to offer captivity to those that were in bondage. He would be one that would recover sight to the blind, and he would offer liberty to those that were oppressed. In other words, all of that describes an individual that came to this earth to help other people. Remember this morning we define benevolence even out of the dictionary. And in the dictionary we see that not only does it deal with gifts, but it deals with kind acts. Jesus was one that came to give His life. But before He gave His life on the cross, His life was full of gifts of kind acts, benevolent acts all along the way. 
Friends, when we talk about, I want to do what Jesus would do. I want to be more like Jesus every day. I have to realize that this spirit of benevolence must be one that rules our life. I'd like for us to look at four passages tonight and get a snapshot of what we could learn about what we ought to desire if we are going to be benevolent people. In other words, I would suggest to you that most people in this room could honestly say right now, I really do desire to be benevolent. I understand that's the way my Lord is and I want to be more like Him. But you know, sometimes what we desire in a broad principle, we may fail to see some of the specifics of it that really cause failure in our life. In other words, could it be tonight that honestly I could say, I really desire to be benevolent, but the truth is, I don't do a very good job at being benevolent. Well, maybe tonight as we see some snapshots of several bullet points from four different passages, maybe we can see some things that we must desire if we are to be benevolent. When we look at Matthew, the 20th chapter, we see the great beginning of this chapter where Zebedee, his wife comes and she approaches Jesus and she wants James and John, her sons. Remember, one placed on the right side and one on the left side because she wanted a position of greatness for her children. Now, there's some debate about whether or not that was an honorable thing for her to do or not. We see it didn't turn out so honorable, at least among the others, because the other apostles stepped back and the King James says they were moved with indignation. In other words, it aroused jealousy. If you'll note, anytime someone wants a position for power, it always stirs jealousy and envious and it makes things worse. And so Jesus went through that exercise with her to say, you don't really know what you're asking. And besides, it's not mine to give. It's the Lord's to give. And then he takes that as a teachable moment. And it's almost as if he says, but since you've laid the table here, let me give you a spiritual feast to eat on. If you want to desire something, here's what you ought to desire. And let's look in Matthew, the 20th chapter, 26, 27, and 28. Matthew, the 20th chapter, beginning at verse 26. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now you see there in 26, he tells us about those that would desire to be great. In 27, he teaches about those that would desire to be first. And then in 28, he says, now that I've taught you those two lessons, let me give you a perfect illustration. And that illustration is Jesus Christ. What is it that we can learn about those that would desire to be great? Let's look at this next slide and notice these three bullets. One coming out of each of those three verses. Number one, Instead of desiring to be great, in other words, I have an important position and I want everyone to respect me. Keep in mind, that was the setting what Zebedee's wife wanted for her sons. Jesus says, in other words, it'd be much better if you would desire to be a great servant. Friends, if you and I desire to be benevolent, we have to honestly, from the depths of our heart, be able to say, I really, really want to be a servant. If we can't say that, we can't have an attitude of benevolence 
a spirit of benevolence on a regular basis. Secondly, we see out of the next verse, we must desire to be last instead of first. That's hard. That goes against the very core of our carnal nature. Our carnal nature from the time we were born was to look out for number one. By instinct, we will protect number one first. But yet we're to live by spiritual nature. That doesn't mean we do not love ourselves. The second greatest commandment is love thy neighbor as thyself. But the bottom line is if we're going to be benevolent, we must love others so much that we're willing to be put behind. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that it's this simple. But when you know that a line is forming anywhere, if it's in the grocery store or if it's at a fellowship meal, where do you try to get? I would suggest to you that probably where you try to get is probably also revealing some of your benevolent nature. We just can't be people that always want to be first and be benevolent. Are you willing to look out for others' place, for others' interest? Or is your mind, in your mind, you're having a great day when you can pass ahead of others, when you can cut others off? Notice Jesus as the example. Another principle of benevolence is we must desire to be a giver of our life for the benefit of others. That's a big statement. Are you willing to give your life to benefit others? Now, if you will, uh, and I know some of you men, it's hard to multitask if you're anything like me, but be turning to Matthew 25 and listen to the summary of Matthew 20, okay? As you're turning to Matthew 25, think about this. Are we really willing to say, I want to give my life in service to others? If I were to ask you to name your favorite school teacher, my guess would be that your favorite school teacher you ever had was one that did not concentrate first and foremost upon them as a teacher. They probably concentrated most upon you as a student and you loved them because they were looking out for your best interest. Your best interest came first. When you have a genuine friend, one that you could just say they're there all the time, they're there in the bad times, they're there in the good times. What makes someone that genuine friend? It's someone that's willing to be a servant and give their life in service. Friends, benevolence, a life of benevolence is not temporary. It's not short term. It's for those that are willing to say, I want to be a great servant. I want to enjoy putting others first. I want my whole life not to be so that I can build up to the point that everyone waits on me. Everyone ooze when I walk in the room. I want to my whole life to be that I serve others. That was Jesus' answer to a woman who came and said, put my sons in the front of the line. Matthew, the 25th chapter, we also find out that benevolence has to do with eternity. Now, we're about to get a glimpse into eternity, and no one that would know the Scriptures would suggest to you that this is all that will be judged on the day of judgment. But it is interesting to hear Jesus say, let me tell you some things that are going to be a part of judgment on that great and final day of judgment. Let's begin reading Matthew, the 25th chapter. 
And uh, 31, 32, and 33, which we don't have slides for, uh, but just a quick review. You remember that's where he gathers all the nations together before him, and he's on the throne, and it's this great and final day of judgment. And let's begin reading at 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Derek prayed just a few moments ago about entering into uh, the presence of the Father and hearing those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What is it that people do that's going to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? Look at 35. Jesus says to these people, I was hungry and you gave me food. Jesus said, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now, we don't have a slide, but in 41, he says, Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. And it's the same type of writing where he says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. And they said, When did we see you like this? And again, he says, when you didn't do it for the least of these, you did not do it for me. What's the lessons here to learn? The lesson to learn about benevolence is, number one, when we think about all the people that will stand on the day of judgment on the Lord's right side. Now, we know that's the saved. What's one common factor that every one of them will have? Every one of them will be benevolent people. That makes everything we've studied today important. Now, who's benevolent? Ones that say, Oh, I'll serve a king. I'll gladly give gifts to a king. He says, Oh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the kind of benevolence Jesus says that would do this for the least of these. You'll give food to the least. You'll give clothing to the least. When the least is in prison, and when the least is a stranger, will do for them, realizing that on a spiritual level, we're doing it for the Lord. Look at that second bullet there. It's a summary of what we've just said. Benevolence fulfills necessities for others to survive and provides kindness to others through hospitality. What is benevolence? It's pretty simple when we see it in this story, isn't it? When we learn this lesson from Jesus. But then I must drive home that third bullet in my mind. Benevolence to the Lord includes serving the least. Have you ever seen someone in in a public place, in a grocery store, whatever it may be, cut a child off in line just because they can? Can you imagine that kind of heart? A heart that says, if I'm bigger than you, if I'm quite a bit older than you, I can get by with it. What do we know that's not? We know it's not benevolence. We know it's not an individual that believes that what they do to the least, they do to Jesus. 
Look with me, if you will, to James, the first chapter. As we saw there, several examples of individuals that would be in need of benevolence. We saw how important it was as it relates to the day of judgment. We see how those individuals, even if they are the least, they are worthy of our benevolence because in so doing, we serve the Lord and He will tell us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, and to enter in. In James, the first chapter, in verse 27, I grew up hearing this verse. My parents are with me tonight, and that's always great when they are. I've heard my father say many times, I know there's difficult passages in the Scriptures, but I'm not really so worried about those difficult passages. I'm more concerned about whether or not I'm obeying those simple passages. And then he would mention passages like James 1 and 27. And friends, we're about to read a passage that's not an option. He didn't say, I want everybody sitting in this section to be sure you obey James 1 and 27. And, and those over here are kind of off the hook. Or I tell you what, if, if you're at a certain age in life, you obey this. But if you're younger or older, don't worry about this. Friends, here's benevolent concern that the Lord has among the early church, written through James by inspiration. And he says it this simple, as he identifies pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. It's interesting as he talks about this benevolence of taking care of orphans and widows, that he places this under the heading of this verse, that it's pure and godly religion that would do this. What if someone came up to you tomorrow, you know, completely out of context of this verse, and they said, I think your religion's ungodly. I don't know about you, but I would take offense to that. I'd want to know, what, wait a minute, you can't just say that and walk off. What, what do you think is ungodly about my religion? And they say, I know that there's an orphan in your neighborhood. And you've not done anything to help that orphan. James 1 would teach us, that's an ungodly religion. I know there's a widow that lives near you and you've not done anything to serve that widow. James would teach, that's an ungodly religion. Friends, When we think about benevolence, if I can't think back recently to what I've done to help children that don't have the parents that they ought or need to have, if I can't think back the last time I've helped a child in that way, I ought to leave here tonight with a renewed commitment that says there's not going to be many days passes until I do something for an orphan. When's the last time you've done something directly for a widow? And if it's been several weeks and several months, I want to urge you to think different about your daily activities and responsibilities. The word visit here, back to the original language, literally means to go with open eyes. You see, it's the idea, and notice that that second bullet there. Benevolent people initiate their good deeds. It's to go with open eyes. In other words, it's to say, I'm going to drop by a widow's home. And when I see something, I'm going to do that. It's to go with open eyes. I'm going to see what the needs are. 
Here's a little rule of thumb. It's not for you to test everyone else. It's for each of us to test ourselves. How much benevolence do you do without anyone asking? And it's wonderful when we have a need, we can pass around an envelope in a Bible class. We can make an announcement and, and things come in. And friends, that's fine. I'm not suggesting to you at all that the scriptures would say something's wrong with giving when someone asks us. But do you realize what he's teaching here? He's teaching here in this passage, we also ought to have a spirit about us that says, I will not always wait until I'm asked. I'm going to go to those orphans and I'm going to go to those widows and I'm going to go with open eyes and I want to be the one that initiates that benevolence. But notice that final. Benevolent people help orphans and widows. Now, if you had to fill out true or false with that last bullet, would you say true or false? And if you say it is true, now answer this. Am I benevolent? That's what benevolent people do in the Scriptures. They help them. Am I benevolent? We can see the last passage without even turning our page. It's the very next verse. It just so happens to be in another chapter. But look at James, the second chapter. It's the very next verse. And if you would, read along with me as we read 1, 2, 3, and 4. And we see an opportunity when the church comes together. He says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him... You sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now note here, Jesus is not saying what they did towards the rich man was something negative. He was simply saying you've showed partiality. The way you stood up and offered your seat to that wealthy individual was a great benevolent deed. It was an act of kindness. And now he's saying, you should not have been a respecter of persons. When that poor individual came in with filthy clothes, you should have stood up and offered him the very same things that would have been benevolent in nature. And so from this, we see on the next slide, the Lord is impartial. And we, going back to verse 1, should have the very same faith as our Lord. But notice number 2, the benevolent deeds can be as simple is offering a chair. Have you ever thought how many people never visit a second time to learn about the Almighty God because they visited once and they felt like people didn't care if they were here? There was no benevolent deed, no act of kindness. Friends, we have a great opportunity every time we come together to say, I just want to make sure that the people around me know that I care. I want to offer a kind word, a kind way to encourage. I want to help them in whatever way that I can. To summarize this lesson, I'd like for you to look at this last slide just to think about the four passages that we just looked at. If we're going to think about benevolence out of Matthew, the 20th chapter, we have to think about humility. Not desiring to be great, desiring to be a great servant. Not desiring to be first, but literally desiring to put others before us. 
We also have to think about eternity. Matthew, the 25th chapter, everyone that will be on the right side will have been benevolent people. We also have to think about James 1. Do we take the initiative or do we always wait for someone to ask? We need to think about James 2. Do we respect people? Whether out of Matthew 25, they are the least, or out of James 2, if they're so poor, they are in filthy clothes, do we still respect them? We have a wonderful opportunity to be better tomorrow than we were today if we'll just grow more like our Lord. You know your Thanksgiving list? We did that exercise with a group of folks on Monday evening, and we did that exercise again on Thursday. And one of our friends from on Long Island was in on Monday evening, and he's about a 32-year-old young man. And uh, kids would like, he played in the NFL for a little while, Seattle. And as we were going around, everyone was saying two or three things that they were thankful for. And he really caught me off guard with this one. He said, I'm thankful for potential. And at the moment, that struck me as, that's interesting. And I mulled that over and I thought about it over the next few days. And, you know, spiritually, potential is hope. On this earth, we think about it simply being potential. I'm thankful for potential too. I really believe that I can be a better person in 2007 than what I've been in 2006. I really believe I can. Not on my own. But if I'll grow to be more like the Lord. I really believe that I can do greater good next month than I did this past month. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to have potential? To have hope. That's what the Lord offers. Tonight, you and I have no real potential without the Lord. If you're not saved, please don't leave here without that hope. As a believer, be willing to repent of sins and confess that Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized to wash those sins away. And you come out of that water with great hope. And the potential of what you and God can do on this earth will be absolutely amazing. Maybe you've already been baptized and somewhere something's gotten you off track and you've lost focus and you want to come back tonight to get everything back the way it ought to be. If you need to ask forgiveness of sins, we need to pray for you. We would love to do whatever we could help you do to be right with your God tonight. If we can help you in any way.